0: please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Rabbi Barry Chesler, and today's Daf is Masechet Chagigah Yudchet, Track 18. We conclude the sugya we started yesterday, which offers a different solution to the problem of compensation, or Tashlumim, for Shavuot. Yesterday, we investigated the position of Rabbi Eliezer in the name of Rabbi Yoshaya, who said that the Tashlumim for Shavuot are seven days. At the end of yesterday's daf, the position of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov is introduced. His teaching is based on the words Ukratem and Ubekuts Rechem. We proclaim the holiday and we reap. But this cannot just be referring to the holiday itself, because one is forbidden to reap on holidays. Therefore, the language of the Torah is coming to teach about compensation, Tashlumim. We need this opinion of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, who derives compensation from a holiday of Shavuot, because the analogy with Pesach might lead us to conclude that just as work is forbidden during the days of compensation for Pesach, which is a holiday, so too the days of compensation for Shavuot, which are weekdays. The derivation of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov removes this difficulty. Today's daf begins with a justification for Rabbi Eliezer in the name of Rabbi Oshaya, who teaches the number of days of compensation, which is missing from the other interpretation. Reish Lakish brings a different proof. While his proof is very similar to the one of Rabbi Eliezer ben Rabbi Yaakov, the scriptural language is different. Reish Lakish notes that the holiday is called Chag and asks which holiday is the one you celebrate and reap in this is Shavuot, when, if you say it is a holiday itself, who permits reaping on the holiday itself, but rather it must refer to the Tashlumim. Rabbi Yochanan, the Bar Plukta, the rival in the academy of Resh Lakish, argues against Resh Lakish by reference to the other holiday mentioned, which is with Chaka Katsir, namely Chaka Asif, to derive it from Sukkot. What is the holiday in which there is gathering? Sukkot. When? If you say it is on Yom Tov, well, who permits Malacha on Yom Tov? Rather, it must refer to Cholam Oed. But who permits work on Cholam Oed? Then it must be the holiday which comes at the time of the ingathering. So Chag katsir must only mean that it is a holiday which comes at the time of reaping, rejecting therefore Reish Lakish's position. Both race location, Rabbi Yochanan, has suggested that work, Melacha, is prohibited on Echol The Talmud, naturally, wants the biblical proof text. A baraita is brought based on the verse, Etchak to Tishmur Shivat yamim." The holiday of Matzot you shall observe for seven days. According to Rabbi Yoshaya it teaches that work is prohibited on Echol HaMoed, because the verb tishmor refers to prohibitions. This interpretation is rejected by Rabbi Yonatan, who thinks it a far fetched exegesis. He argues from a Kaaba Chomer, a difference from a minor to a major premise. Just as the first and seventh days, which do not have a sanctified day before or after them, the lacha is forbidden, it stands to reason that on Cholam which has a sanctified first and last day before and after them, work is forbidden. An abduction is brought from the works of the week, although the language actually is the six days of creation, which have a Shabbat both before and after, but on which work is permitted. The difference is that on Cholem O'ed, there is a korban musaf an additional sacrifice. But this cannot be enough because Rosh Chodesh has a musaf and yet work is permitted. But, Rosh Chodesh is not designated a Mikra chodesh, a holy convocation. And therefore, because cholam has all these characteristics, work is prohibited. Another Baraita is brought. The verse that Kol Malachat Avodah is brought to prove that in cholam one is forbidden to do work, according to Rabbi Yasiak Gugli. Rabbi Akiva says this verse is unnecessary because we have the verse Eile Moadei Hashem. What is this verse talking about? If it is the first day of the holiday, that is already referred to as Shabbaton, and hence work is prohibited. If it is the seventh day, that too is called Shabbaton. So, the verse can only be referring to Cholah and it comes to teach us that work is forbidden. Another Baraita. On six days you shall eat matzah, and the seventh day is a Natseret for God. Just as the seventh day is at sur, stopped, so too the first six days. But one might read the verse to say that only the seventh day is stopped or restrained from labor, but the other six days are not. The Talmud concludes that Scripture may only be interpreted by the sages to say which day's work is forbidden and which days it is permitted, which work is forbidden and which is permitted. This conclusion is reminiscent of the saying dimly remembered, that scholars must be able to offer 24 arguments in favor of their position and 24 against it. In other words, on one level, there is an element of play here. On another, decisions are going to be made which affect people's lives and these ultimately are grounded in acceptance of authority and authority figures. Yamud concludes with the Masa, an event. It happened that a man named al died in Lud. All Israel gathered to eulogize them, but Rabbi Tarfon did not permit them because it was the Yom Tov of Atzeret. The Talmud raises the question, how could it have been Yom Tov for who would have come? Everyone knows there are no eulogies given on Yom Tov, but rather it was Yom Tov But if that is the case, this conflicts with the Mishnah which says the eulogies are permitted on Yom Tov It is not a difficulty. The Mishnah is referring to Yom Tavoach on Sunday when there is a fear that people will think it is actually Yom Tov, as the Sadducees believed, and the Masah, which refers to a time when the Yom Tov is not on Shabbat. And therefore the Yom Tavoach has elements of the Chag, such as no eulogies. This Masah concludes the first part of the tractate, though we have not yet concluded the second chapter. The rest of the tractate will take up laws of purity. The rest of the Mishnah for Chapter 2 appears on the top of the B-side of 18. There are a variety of levels in the Laws of Purity, which the Mishnah details. One must wash his hands in order to eat non-consecrated food, called chulin, maser sheni, and truma. For sanctified food, kodesh, that is meat from sacrifices, or the grain offerings, one must immerse in the mikvah. To the water of the red heifer, if one's hands have been rendered ritually impure, it renders impure the entire body, requiring immersion in the mikvah. If one immerses in order to eat unconsecrated food, one is pure only for Hulin, but is impure, forbidden to eat maser. Similarly, if one had immersed in order to become pure for maser, one is pure only for maser, but forbidden to eat truma. For truma, one is forbidden to eat sanctified food. For sanctified food, one is forbidden to touch the water of the red heifer. If one is immersed to eat something of a higher level, one is permitted a lower level. If one immersed without designating it as he did not, it is as if he did not immerse. The clothes to Anam Ha'aris are midras for purushim, those who are scrupulous regarding purity laws. The clothes of purushim are midras for those who eat truma. The clothes of those who eat truma are midrash for sanctified food. The clothes of one who eats sanctified food are midrash for the ashes of the red heifer. Yosef ben Yo-ezur was the most pious of the priests, but his napkin was considered midrash for sanctified food. Yohanan ben Gudgadah ate in the state of ritual purity for his entire life, but his napkin was midrash for the, for the water of the red heifer. The term midrash, which lacks a convenient translation, refers to the impurity imparted by a Zav, zava, or Nidah, a person whose bodily emissions renders him or her impure to an object by sitting or laying on it. The significance of this term is that these objects import, impart impurity to what they subsequently come in contact with. There are some objects which contract impurity but do not transmit it. Midras is something that does both, so that it is a higher order of impurity. The second point that the Mishnah here seems repetitious. It is often the style to list cases in ascending or descending order, rather than formulate a general rule. Here, one might imagine the items on this list simply arranged in ascending or descending order with a short descriptive statement. Finally, it is worth noting that the two sages mentioned at the end of the Mishnah, despite their scrupulousness, still could transmit impurity. Their scrupulousness alone does not render them permanently pure. The Talmud begins with the statement that Khulan and Masa are requiring the die yadayim, the washing of hands. An objection is raised. Truman first fruits, have certain obligations. A non cohen who eats them intentionally is subject to death, whereas the one who does so unintentionally has a 20% penalty. They are forbidden to non name, they belong to the priests. They are annulled in a ratio of 1 to 101, and they require the washing of hands and the setting of the sun to be able to eat truma. These restrictions pertain to both trumah and first fruits, but they do not apply to maser, and all the more so to Hulin. The Talmud concludes, kasha maser a maser, kasha chulin a khulin. We have a difficulty with regard to both maser and Kulin. But it is not really a difficulty regarding Maser, since the two texts reflect two different opinions, the one of Rabbi Meir and the other of the Rabbis. For there is a Mishnah which states that anything which requires immersion for purification, according to the scribes, mid of renders impure sacred offerings and makes invalid Truma, that is, makes it impure, but it does not transmit impurity, but it is permitted for Chulun and Maser. These are the words of Rabbi Meir. The sages forbid with maser, meaning they require washing of hands. With regard to chulin, we resolve the difficulty in the following way. One opinion is about eating chulin, which requires washing of hands, and the other is about touching. The Talmud brings an objection from Rav bar Rav Ashi, who teaches that the disagreement between Rabbi Meir and the sages only concerns the eating of maser. But they agree on touching of Maser and the eating of Chulun. Rather, the difference is between eating bread and eating fruit, since Rav Nachman says that one who washes in order to eat fruit is considered arrogant. The remainder of the daf is taken up with the sugya concerning the issue of intention and washing of hands or immersion. One must wash hands and immerse with the specific intention of purification in order for the hands to be rendered pure. If one did not intend the washing or immersion as an act of purification, then the hands remain unclean. But there is a bright which states that intention does not matter, the act itself renders the hands pure. Bob Nachman offers the beginning of an answer, which will be concluded on tomorrow's DAF. Until tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily DAF Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.